We, uh, we occasionally like to watch movies with our kids. Sometimes we have movie days and family movie days is what we call them. Have you ever watched a movie and gone, where on earth do they come up, come up with this concept? Where do they come up with this idea? Sometimes I've watched movies and gone, I think somebody was um, smoking something happy. Because the idea is just, it's wild. But uh, recently, I think it was the last couple of months, we watched the movie Avatar with the kids. Um, they enjoyed it, except they complained it was too long. It is a long movie. But we watched the movie Avatar with our kids. And if you know anything about the movie Avatar, whether you like it or not like it, it changed movie making for the future. James Cameron was the director and he uh, purchased these brand new spanking uh, super digital 4D cameras um, and even the way they made it, it was just exorbitant. They spent <laughs> ridiculous amounts of money making this movie, used huge amount of CGI. Um, actually, if you, ever, if you ever watch behind the scenes of the modern day movie, it's actually quite hilarious. Most of them wear these special suits with little balls all over them so they can track them with all these cameras and do digitally altering afterwards. But anyway, but the outcome of that movie was the fact that it changed movie making forever. It changed the concept, but somebody had to dream it, somebody had to imagine the idea. And that's where it becomes interesting. When you start thinking about who on earth dreams or thinks or imagines the concept that became the movie Avatar. Now, I want you to think about your dreams. Some of them perhaps you want to forget. But I'm not talking about the dreams you have at night time and wake up going, what on earth was I dreaming? I'm talking about your dreams, your visions, your plans, your, your things that you want to accomplish in your life. Now I want you to ask you, where do you think they came from? When the children of Israel left Egypt, they thought this was a great thing until they faced obstacles. They were in captivity as slaves for over 440 years to the Egyptians. And during those years, the Egyptians got them to build all sorts of monuments and buildings. Basically, from history, what we understand is they built the modern, or they built Egypt as the cities, and nothing else was really took place within Egypt besides those 400 years. There were things that got built, but nothing like was built in those 400 years. They were in slavery, they got beaten, they were manipulated, tortured, died. And for 440 years, they suffered under this slavery mentality. Now, I want you to think on that for a moment. Every time the Egyptians, so the Israelites, when they were brought out of Egypt, faced an obstacle, they had an initial thought that kept coming into their brains. They would complain when things weren't working well for them. Even though they were no longer in slavery. And when they came to obstacles, they complained. But the one part of the story that of this, this whole thing, because if you want to track it, there's actually lots of in there. But one part of this story is they come out of Egypt. Finally, 
After all the plagues, after all the miracles, Pharaoh decides to release them. They come out of Egypt. They're walking along through the desert. They come to the Red Sea. They think everything is hunky-dory until they see the Egyptians in their chariots. And then they start complaining. They're chilling at the beach until they saw the Egyptians. And the Egyptians were riding on them, you know, latest chariots, full chrome wheels. They're in hot pursuit. And those days, chariots were like the, like the modern-day tanks. But what's interesting is these, these Israelites are standing at the Red Sea. There's no way across the Red Sea. There's no bridge. There's no boats. You know, someone didn't leave their latest canoe. There's nothing. They're sitting at the edge of the Red Sea. The Egyptians are coming in hot pursuit on their chariots and panic starts to sink in. But panic does something. Panic reveals either fear or faith. And what happened to the Israelites is they become fearful. Full of fear. They had forgotten what God had done to release them from the Egyptians' hand. They had forgotten the miracles. They had forgotten the provision. And at that point in time, facing the Egyptian army coming at them in their chariots, they became fearful. Now you've got to remember, they were slaves for 440 years. Now they were free. And when fear came over them, their response was, we want to go back and be slaves. Fear will create a bondage. And fear has a way of convict, uh, convicting you or connecting you with your past and makes it become more attractive. Why? Because it's familiar. Now think on that. Who in their right mind, who is now experiencing freedom for the very first time, when an obstacle comes before them, their initial thought is, let's go back to slavery. Freedom is not always the answer to your problem. Freedom to your problem will not always fix anything until we change our perspective. Frederick Douglass wrote and lived with a very simple motto. Better to die free than die as a slave. Now Frederick Douglass, you probably don't know him because I had to look him up, was a journalist, was a civil rights activist and an author. He was also the first African American to hold a high US government rank and be nominated for president in 1888. He obviously was an African American. But he was a slave on a plantation. Whipped and beaten when he did something wrong, tortured, malnourished, not looked after. And his motto was, better to die free than die as a slave. Robert Adams said, there is only one decision you need to make. You are either working at your freedom or accepting your bondage. But what is freedom? The power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants. 
the state of not being imprisoned or enslaved. Watching this period of time, this season that we've been in for the last, well, it's like almost two and a half years now, there have been many Christians that have been consumed with their physical freedom, wanting their physical freedom, demanding their physical freedom. When they are in bondage in emotionally and spiritual areas of their lives and they are driven by fear. It's almost like an oxymoron. The story of the Israelites and their journey through the wilderness asks some very serious questions about our humanity. A story of slaves that have been set free by their God, wandering through a wilderness to reach their promised land, a land relayed to them or promised to them over 440 years previous to Abraham. It's everything they could need, everything they could want, everything they could possibly desire. Their vision, their dreams, their, everything is in this place. Yet during the whole journey, when times get tough, their first response is, let's go back. How good does something have to be for us before we lay down our old ways in pursuit of it? When will we let go of the past? Research, research shows that a person is unable to focus on future events when they are consumed by their past. What does God have to tell us before we believe and walk in all his ways and what he tells us to do? What do we have to do to let go of everything that is not what he created us to be and so we can have what he has given or set aside for us? If God told you he had created you for bigger things and it was to never want for anything, would be willing to give up all the wanting for it and also let go of our past. Why is it that some people get it and others don't? The story of Moses walks parallel to the story of Israelites. Moses' responses are unique in this story. Remember, the Israelites were confronted with a no way through. They're facing the Red Sea. It's not a trickling little stream. It is a massive body of water. There is no way across. There is no boats. There's no submarines. There's no planes. There's no helicopters. There's no kayaks, no canoes, no bridge. They were up against a large body of water. They didn't have boats. And there was a large army coming at them. In hot pursuit, the dust flying off the chariots, the dust stream behind them. Fear had kept them nowhere across. I mean, how many times do we come across obstacles in our path with no way through with the naked eye? It's just impossible. We cannot physically, emotionally, spiritually do it. I don't know what to do. I mean, how many people give up hope at that point in time? It's too hard. Instead of trying to find a way through, we quit. And quite often what actually happens is we lean up against it and just straight out defeat. But if you listen to the story of the Israelites, even though, even though their first response was, let's go back, God makes a way. 
God brings them through. And this is not only the grace of God, but the love of God that he has for us. That even when we are unfaithful, he is faithful. Then they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Exodus 14. You have to understand, this is a really interesting concept. When you start breaking down someone's mindset, where they would, they would prefer to stay in bondage as a slave than move to the promise. They would prefer to be whipped, live on whatever the Egyptians felt like feeding them, than move to what they could own, what they could have. The Israelites, who were slaves, wanted to go back to being slaves. Freedom is something everyone wants, but the truth is very few can handle it. It's like kids with sugar. They all want it. Don't you? You don't want sugar. You don't want endless amounts of lollies. No? You've probably learnt then. No? But as a parent, we need to allow, we, we allow kids to have just enough sugar, right? Because we all know what happens when they have endless amounts of sugar. When you say, if you put them in a candy shop and said, it's all yours. Although their eyes would turn the size of beach balls, their stomachs would turn just as much. Kids would eat so much sugar to the point that they would go sick and hypo and then start vomiting. Because kids haven't learnt that where the limit is. Right? Parents, most parents have known that point. Oh yeah, I understand. If they give you too much, one, you're going to go hypo. And two, if they give you too much more than that, you'll start throwing up and then I'll have to clean up the mess and I don't like vomit, so we'll stop it there. And so we... What do we do? We ration the sugar. We ration the chocolate. We just come from Easter, right? I mean, kids got Easter eggs. But you, you don't go, oh, yeah, eat as many as you want. Because <laughs> what will they do? They will eat as many as they can. Maturity is needed to handle freedom. And maturity takes time. And it takes acceptance and responsibility. And as a parent, hopefully you're more mature than your children and you don't go, go for your life. It's that maturity says, uh, you can have one or two. Save the rest. Don't be spastic. Because maturity is needed to handle freedom. But Moses responds to the children of Israel and he says, do not fear. Stand up and see the salvation of the Lord which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. That's a really important part of that last bit. While you keep silent. Stop worrying about the things that we are out of our control. The answer to your obstacle is actually through the obstacle. Not over it, not under it, but through it. God does something here that we can often miss. And as I read through this passage 
over and over again. The truth is I missed it a couple of times. But in verse 19 of Exodus 14, he says, The angel of God, who had been going before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. Now, God gave the children of Israel a promise and said that I will always go before you in a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire during the night. That means you know where to go, you are led. But in this instance, when they're at the Red Sea, what happens is something very interesting. The pillar that was before them moved to behind them. And it positioned itself between the Egyptians and the Israelites. And it came from a position of guidance to a position of protection. God repositioned himself from a position of leading to protection. See, God is not stupid. Everything God does is for a purpose. God wants you to go through the obstacle because going through the obstacle prepares you for what he has for you. The learning of every time we go through obstacles is creating in us a greater level of faith to go through the next one. God positions them because they were led to the place of the Red Sea. Why? Because God wanted an opportunity to show, hey, watch what I can do. Everything God did with the children of Israel was to reveal himself and say, hey, I'm the Lord your God. No one will take you out except for me. And in this positioning of himself, where he moves from leading the children of Israel, because they're up against the river or the water, until possession of protection, he's saying, hey, 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 it doesn't matter how close they get. You watch what I do. You watch what I do. God wants you to go through the obstacle because he is preparing you for what's ahead. Imagine if God wanted to give you a million dollars. Wouldn't that be nice? Maybe a billion dollars. Oh, let's start dreaming. Trillions, right? Imagine if you had so much money you couldn't spend it in a lifetime. But what God wanted to give it to you for was not so you could have this massive yacht or this massive house or unlimited amount of cars in this massive garage. What about if God wanted you to have it for the benefit of the kingdom of God? But without maturity, we mishandle it. What if God wanted to give you something truly magnificent, but it wasn't so you could possess it? It was so he could use it in his kingdom. And the process to getting to that place where he can give you what he wants to give you so you can use it in the purpose that he gives it to you for is the process of going through the obstacles. God wanted, wanted, he promised it to the children of Israel, the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, geographically, when you look at the map, and look at where the Israelites get to, right? It takes them three months to walk to a place called Kadesh Barnea. It takes, that's, at, sorry, at Kadesh Barnea, they send in the 12 spies to spy out the promised land. The 12 spies come back, two of them have a good report, the other 10 say, yep, we got no faith. 
and then they go marching back into the wilderness. But at that point of Kadesh Barnea, the promised land was just over the horizon. But God takes them on this massive, massive loop where they wander the wilderness for 40 years because they don't have the mentality to receive what God has for them. They haven't learnt to receive what God has for them in the right mindset through the obstacles. And I tell you, the story of the children of Israelites as they're walking through the wilderness is full of obstacles. And God is presenting them with opportunities saying, Hey, hey, trust me. Trust me. If you can trust me here, you can trust me on the next one. If you can trust me there, you'll trust me on there. And guess what? You'll be ready for what I want to give you. The purpose of the obstacle is found in the very same passage of the children of Israel on the Red Sea. In verse 4 of chapter 14, he says, Thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them, and I will be honoured through Pharaoh with his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord, and they did so. Meaning, I'm going to wipe out this army that is in pursuit of you, and the stories that will come out of this will go in through Egypt, and they will know that I am the one true God. And you can take this testimony of what I have done throughout your life, saying God saved us from this massive army. He parted the Red Sea and we walked on dry land. And you can take that wherever you go because this is what God has already done. See, this is why he talks about we have such a great cloud of witnesses because the stories in the Bible, we're supposed to read and go, oh, God did it then. God did it then. God did it then. He can do it for me now. When Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord in his servant Moses. They had seen God part the Red Sea. They had seen God swallow up the Egyptian army in the Red Sea where none of them survived. And everything that God does is for our benefit. He allows, right? He doesn't orchestrate. He doesn't author every obstacle before us. But he will allow obstacles in our life to come across our path for a greater purpose. And he will use them. He allows them to develop us and to prepare us for what is coming. The Israelites, after the Red Sea, come to the water of Marah. And Mara means bitter. And if you've ever had a well or you've ever put down a bore, they will test the water that comes back up. And sometimes the water comes back bitter, meaning it's got too much salt in it. It's only good for livestock. It's not used for human consumption. You can use it on grass, on plants, but you can't use it for human consumption. And when the Israelites come to this place called Mara, bitter waters, God does something else. They start, guess what they start doing? Complaining. Remember, they're walking through a desert, right? There's not local servo anywhere around. You can't get a, a monster, right? You can't get a drink of water. So they come to this body of water. They're all thirsty. 
There's not 10 of them. There's hundreds of thousands of them. They come to the place of Mara. They come to that source of water and yet they can't drink it. And what do the Israelites do? Chapter 15, 23, it says, When they came to Mara, they could not drink the water of Mara, for they were bitter. Therefore it was named Mara. So the people grumbled at Moses, saying, What shall we drink? They admit defeat even before knowing what God can do. They admit defeat even though God has just done amazing things not more than a few hours ago. Verse 25, it says, And then he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And he threw it into the waters, and the waters became sweet. There he made for them a statue and a regulation, and there he tested them. Every time the Israelites face an obstacle, the Israelites become the victims, and they complain. Moses prays. Moses asks God for an answer, and God reveals the way through. When they come to the waters of Marah, the water is bitter. Moses cries out to God. God gives Moses an answer. Moses picks up a branch and throws it in the water. And the branch actually represents the cross. If your answer is Jesus, and what Moses was given was Jesus as an answer, throw Jesus into the bitterness of your life and he will make it sweet. But if you notice the pattern that's beginning to be established, the Israelites come to an obstacle. Oh, it's not fair. Let's go back to Egypt. Moses comes to an obstacle. God, help me. Answer. Problem solved. Every time, every time the Israelites come to an obstacle, they become victims. They complain. They find someone else to be at fault. They find someone else to blame. Oh, it's your fault, Moses. You brought us out of Egypt. No, no, no. God brought you out of Egypt. Oh, Moses, why did you bring us to the bitter waters? Oh, the Egyptians are going to kill us. Why are you doing this? It's not fair. A lack of maturity causes us to find fault. And maturity is acceptance responsibility because we haven't learned to accept responsibility for the obstacle. Therefore, we don't want to find the answer for the obstacle. But the secret to the obstacle is first accepting responsibility of your obstacle and going, God, I need the answer. Help me find the answer to get through. Most of the time, we sit there and go, oh, it's so big. It's such a big obstacle. I'm such a victim. I can't get through. It's not fair. Why would you do this to me? Little old me. I'm such a nice person. We, we had a phone call the, this week. Tragic situation. And, and we're listening to this person and this person is, oh, it wasn't me. It was this person. They do this and I'm such a nice person. And I was sitting in the background. I was like, oh, well. Wow, what do you do? What do you say? What do you, what, how do you say this to a person? Um, it's your fault. And if you sooner, as soon as you can take responsibility of the situation, the sooner you can get through it. In verse 26, 
Moses is talking to God and he says, If you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God, so he's talking to the Israelites, and do what is right in his sight, and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statues, right? I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Meaning everything that you saw me do the Egyptians, right? And the Egyptians represent the world. Everything you saw undo them, I will not put on you if you will follow my commandments. If you will follow my statutes, my protocol, my procedures, my principles. If you apply them to your life, none of that will be on you. God is always bringing relief to a situation. There will be times of enough. There will be times when God is trying to, take this in the right way, break you. He is trying to build you up. And sometimes we need to be broken like a stallion. If you get a wild stallion, you will need to break them. And they break them in because this wildness in them is this, I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it, and I won't listen to anyone else. And so you get in there with the horse, and it's a little bit wild, and you break them and show them, hey, I'm your master. And when you become the master of the horse, the horse actually settles. And you can take the wildest stallion, the alpha horse, and you can break it to a point where it is the best of horse. But it's important to understand that there is a principle in the Word of God. And we as our humanity can follow the example of the Israelites that every time we come to an obstacle, we're looking for someone else to blame. Oh, it's their fault. They did it. I mean, Adam and Eve did it. Adam said, the woman you gave me, God. And throughout the Bible, we come to this constant thing of blaming somebody else. And God's not looking. He doesn't really care. He's saying, hey, it doesn't matter whose fault it is. Come to me. I have the answer. And if we can learn or we can understand the principle that Moses lived, he went to God. God, I need an answer. God delivered an answer and brought them through the obstacle. And bringing them through the obstacles, implanting them a greater understanding or greater level of knowledge that can help them for the next task ahead. But if you don't learn the obstacles revelation, if you don't understand the knowledge that comes with that obstacle, then what happens is we go to the next one and we're not ready for it. The obstacle A prepares you for obstacle B. But if you went to obstacle B, you'd be in trouble without going through obstacle A. And you can't get to obstacle Z without going through A, B, C, D, E, F, and this extra. Everything is preparing us for the next journey. This is, this is the interesting concept with God's purpose. God doesn't go, okay, I've called you to be this, right? And in two weeks' time, the door will open and you will be that. It doesn't work like that. God's saying, you know what? I've called you. Actually, very rarely does he even tell you. He said, just go, just walk. And the children of Israel's story is actually, you can bring your story along the same thing. Yes, you're probably not walking through a desert in such, but you're walking through a wilderness. And a wilderness can be like a dry 
place. It's a place where the only resources you have are God. And this dryness creates a thirst in you to cry out to him. It, you know, it's like going through a hot day and not drinking water. And then as soon as someone goes, here's some water, you scull it. There's an old parable that a man is walking through the desert and he comes to some palm trees and there's a well, an old pump and there's a little jar of water and there's a note that says on the side, he says, use this jar to wet the pump. So the water is put aside to prime the pump, to wet the pump, so you can pump endless amounts of water. But if you take that jar and drink the water, there's no water to prime the pump, therefore you can't get water out of the pump. But sometimes it's just about learning the maturity of understanding. I'm dying of thirst, but if I use this in the proper means, then I get endless amounts of replenishment. I have watched my own life unfold. I've lived it. And there is so much more to live in my life. There's so many more obstacles to take on. There's so much more before me. I don't even call myself halfway through yet. But everything that I'm learning through each obstacle presents and prepares me for the next. And I've learned that I need to go to him for the answer. Because he's the one that orchestrates or designs or creates or gives or gains access to those obstacles. And he's the one with the bigger game plan. And he's the one with the, with the answers. And if I go to the one who has the answers, then I'm not trying to create my own answer. I'm getting the answer from the source. He doesn't remove the obstacle, but he allows the obstacle to be there to teach and to prepare us. It's where we gain revelation. It's where we gain knowledge. It's where we gain wisdom. If you, if you actually have a look at your own life, you'll learn, you'll learn very quickly that you learnt more in defeat than you did in victory. The one who quits this side of the obstacle never experiences the satisfaction of going through. Too many quit because we live by our emotions. We live connected to our past. My accident presenting me with an obstacle and that keeps going and I face challenges every single day and it's not like I'm Superman and I don't face them. But I face obstacles. But I've learnt to go to the source and go, God, I need an answer. I don't know how to get through this. And he doesn't always answer me right away. Because he also likes to teach us how to press in. I know that every day I need to get up and I need to push through 
Because that's the only way I know how to get to the other side. And this, what my life is, cannot be it. It will not be it. It's not where it stops. This is not the best it can be. And I know that God has good things for me. And God has a purpose for me and He has a purpose for this. And the only way that I know how to get through is go, God, I need the answer. Help me in my weaknesses. Because your grace is sufficient. Help me understand this obstacle. How do I get through it? I don't want to go around it. I don't want to go over it. I don't want to dig a a tunnel underneath it. I want through. Because I know when I go through, I stand on the other side and I go, God, your grace is enough. It wasn't me. It was you. Because I'm the one standing on this side of the obstacle going, I don't know how to get through. And when I get through to the other other side of the obstacle, I go, oh, that was God. That was God. There's a little phrase in the Bible, particularly in the, New Te- in the Old Testament. And I have every single one of these phrases highlighted in my Bible. It's really simple. It says, so that you would know that I am the Lord your God. So that you would know that I am the Lord your God. It doesn't appear just once. It doesn't appear ten times. It's hundreds of times. So that you would know that I am the Lord your God. It's written throughout the books of the Bible. So that you would know that I am the Lord your God. So that you would know that I am the Lord your God. When the children of Israel went through the wilderness came out of Egypt, went through all the obstacles, it was so they would know that He was the Lord their God. It was so that they would know that He is the Lord their God. God gives us, presents with us, sometimes by our own doing, the obstacles before us so that we would know that He is the Lord our God. So that we would trust Him. So that we would know Him. So that we would seek Him. So that we would praise Him. So that we would worship Him. So that we would read His Bible. He's the answer to our problem. The answer is Jesus. It's not more money. It's not more credit cards. It's not more debt. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. But even when we get given the answer, then we have to act upon the answer. If Moses hadn't stood on the rock, lifted up both his arms, the waters would never have parted. If the children of Israel had never stepped where the water once was, they would never have crossed. And they would have been obliterated. And every time God gives an answer, we still have to act on the answer. I know it's fearful. I know it's scary. Gosh, I can relate. But he's worthy of our trust. He's worthy of our belief. He's worthy to go, yeah, God, I believe. I believe I'll take a step. I'll I'll, I'll do the unthinkable. I've never done that before. That's kind of scary. But that's the place that we need to be in. Where we can go, God, I don't have the answer. I can't get through. 
I need the answer. Okay, I'll walk in the answer. Because where he wants to take us, where he wants to take you, is uncharted. You've never been there before. Neither have I. And it requires that faith where you can go back to God and say, God, this does not make sense. But I believe. I believe. We're going to pray. We're going to close the meeting. I'll be down the front if you want prayer and you want to talk. But if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're far from Him, you've never known Him. And today you want to put things right. You don't receive Him as your Savior and as your Lord. Then I will be down the front as well. And you can come and talk to me and we'll pray. We'll walk this passage. We're going to pray. We're going to close the meeting. There's morning tea. There's tea and coffee. Stay a while. Get to know someone. Talk with them all. We'll pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Father, I thank you that you are a God who is a hot pursuit of us. That you never leave us nor forsake us. That you present us with answers not to harm us, but to bring us through. Answers that create greater level of revelation, greater level of knowledge and wisdom in our lives that help us in the journey of life. Father, I thank you that you don't waste anything on us. That you love us and that you are gracious and merciful towards us. Father, I speak your mighty hand upon each and every one of us that we would walk in the knowledge of who you are. Bless us in all that we do as we honor you. Father, I speak mighty weeks, great weeks, great opportunities, great favor this week, health and life upon each and every one of us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.